right. So I like when things are made simple. I love when things are kept simple. I subscribe to the KISS philosophy. You all know it. Keep it simple, son. There are other ways to finish that phrase, I realize. Well, I love when things are made easy for me to grasp and understand, when steps are clear, simple. I like simple. And I realized I'm not alone. There are, there's an entire industry of books, resources, websites, infomercials that capitalize on our desire to want things to be kept simple and fast. In fact, just for kicks, I did a little research. Did a little research on the web searching for resources for those who like to keep things simple. For people who, who desire change or proficiency fast, like in 30 days or less. In fact, that's what I typed in. I typed in 30 days or less. Millions of matches. Books, resources, programs for almost anyone who wants results fast, like in 30 days. Here are a few of them. Repair your credit in 30 days or less. Sell your home in 30 days or less. Quit smoking in 30 days or less. And the list went on and on and on. Learn to cook, get in shape, build a business, write a book, all in 30 days or less. Some of the cl claims were, were very specific, like at a very targeted, at a very narrow audience. Become an opera lover in 30 days or less. I'm not so sure about that one, okay? Learn Greek in 30 days or less. Teach your parrot to talk in 30 days or less. And it included a money-back guarantee, if not completely satisfied. Can't be too big of an audience for that, but nonetheless. Other quick-fix claims were so broad, I couldn't imagine how they could actually be helpful to someone who had some real issues. Change your life in 30 days or less. Right? Save your marriage in 30 days or less. Yeah, that's an easy one. Eliminate all stress in 30 days or less. Imagine the poor guy who on day 28 is still anxious. Right? You talk about being stressed out. Become an expert in 30 days or less. That's quite a claim. Not a computer expert or a chess expert or a stock picking expert. Just a general expert. All in 30 days or less. And then there were the bold claims, so outrageous that they seemed, you know, unbelievable, comical to me. Lose 30 pounds in 30 days, guaranteed, right? Write a bestseller in 30 days. Not a book, mind you, but a best-selling book. Play an instrument like a pro, like a pro, in 30 days or less. And you foolish parents wasting all your money on those private lessons for the kids, Right? Ultimate fitness, 30 days to killer abs, massive legs, ripped chest, and buns of steel. Wow. And then the most outrageous claim, the one that was over the top, even for these fantastic claims, understanding everything about women in 30 days or less. That's when I knew that these, some of these claims were less than credible. In fact, I'm convinced... I'll stand in front of you 30 pounds lighter with a bestseller to my credit with my killer abs and my buns of steel before that one comes to pass. I can tell you that. No, friends, the truth is you and I both know 
that nothing worthwhile, nothing worth changing or achieving or developing, nothing like that comes easy or fast. It just doesn't. But it can be made simple. Simple and easy are not synonymous. Simple means easy to understand what to do and how to do it. See, change is never easy, but change can be made simple through simple practices that over time you can help, that helps you develop proficiency in a specific area. In fact, that's what good teachers do. Good teachers take rather complex and difficult skill sets and break them down into easy to understand steps so that a novice can understand what to do and how to do it to get better, to develop skill or ability in a specific area. Whether you're teaching tennis or piano or creative writing, good teachers break down their complex ability into simple, easy-to-understand practices so that even a beginner can build proficiency through basic action steps. Good teachers make things simple. And then sometimes, sometimes the best instruction is to just watch a highly skilled person in action. Watching a tennis pro with perfect form and excellent balance hit crisp backhands may be some of the best instruction for a novice tennis player. Attending a rehearsal or a recital of a concert pianist, just watching them, watching trained fingers seemingly fly across the keys, might be the best instruction for an aspiring musician. You know, uh, listening to the uh, creative style and the word pictures of a creative writer might be the best instruction for a budding artist. See, the best teachers model excellence while making it look simple, simple enough that after seeing it done correctly, the novice sees it and says, I can do that. I, I can do that. That's what good teachers do. Well, Jesus does just this kind of teaching in the passage we're going to look at this morning, where Jesus teaches his disciples and us what good ministry, what significant ministry looks like, where we're able to communicate the love of God to the people all around us. Jesus teaches us what significant ministry looks like by showing us, by demonstrating it, by modeling to us what it looks like so you and I can get it. And that's good because I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day. See, Jesus models perfect form. He makes significant ministry simple enough for us to see how to do it and then respond with confidence, hey, I can do that. I can do that. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10, our passage for this morning. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. You can get there in your Bible or on your device. I'll put the verses up on the screen. Just a couple of short verses, simple verses really, where Jesus demonstrates how you and I can communicate the love of God to people all around us. Starting in verse 13 of Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. All right, people are bringing their children to Jesus. The literal translation is that parents persistently kept bringing their children to Jesus. A throng of people have been bringing their children to Jesus to have him touch them. They've been bringing to him all afternoon. So that Jesus would touch them. Well, what is that all about? It was Jewish custom that parents made sure that their children were touched on the head by an esteemed rabbi sometime during their childhood as a way to invoke God's blessing 
on their, lot, on their child's life. The truth is it was a rather common rite of passage. We do it today. You know what we call it? We call it a child dedication. We do it in this very church where parents stand before their friends and family and they formally dedicate their children to God. Parents admit their need for God, their desire to follow him, and then they, they ask God's blessing on their child's life. That's what these parents are doing with Jesus in this, in this action here. And it says that the disciples were getting annoyed. They were getting annoyed because these kids just kept coming. It was taking all afternoon. And at the end of verse 13, it says the disciples rebuked the parents for continuing to bring all these kids around. I want you to picture it. So a bunch of parents are bringing their kids to Jesus. Little ones, toddlers, elementary school age. They had to, they had to invoke this blessing before they turned into adults at 13. So they're all kind of young kids, elementary school kids. And these kids are probably all running around, right, more interested in playing with their peers than actually meeting the teacher. So the parents are jockeying for position, but the kids are kind of running around. And the disciples are getting annoyed because these kids are noisy and distracting and unruly. They have no regard for Jesus' important teaching ministry. And so they're getting frustrated with the parents. So you can hear them thinking, this crowd is really messing up our schedule. We have a full agenda of important things to do. They're putting us way behind. We have a schedule that's full already. Our docket is already packed. In fact, you can tell. Look at the rest of chapter 10. You know what they're thinking? They're saying, we know there's a rich young ruler who's got some questions for the master. Not only that, James and John have an organizational chart they want to float by Jesus. That's important stuff. And there's probably a, a blind guy or two that need to be healed. All, all on the way to Jerusalem for the, the great Passover celebration. That's where we're headed. That's where it gets important so Jesus can teach at the temple. That's what the disciples are thinking. So they're frustrated and annoyed with these parents. They're thinking, we have places to go and people to meet. Way more important business than hanging around with the likes of these kids. You can hear that the disciples going, come on, people. Let's move it along. Get these kids out of here. We got some important ministry to take care of. Look at verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to the disciples, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It says Jesus was indignant. The only place in scripture recorded where Jesus is angry with his disciples. He is ticked off. He is fired up. Why? Because the disciples have lived with Jesus for almost three years now. They've heard him teach, they've seen him perform miracles, and yet they still do not understand his spirit of mercy and grace. They just don't get it. They still don't understand that the kingdom, salvation, forgiveness, heaven, grace, redemption, all of it is for people who do not deserve it, who cannot merit it, who can do nothing to earn it. Just like these annoying kids. See, Jesus is fired up because the disciples missed an opportunity for significant ministry where they could have joined in to demonstrate the love of God to these parents and their kids. They have yet to learn that important ministry is not ministering to important people, but important ministry is helping, is serving the person who's in front of you, helping your neighbor, a friend, a coworker, maybe a stranger, maybe a child, whoever God has put in front of you, 
That's your most important ministry. And the disciples have yet to learn this lesson. See, Jesus is indignant because he wants his disciples, and you and me for that matter, to be part of the action, helping people into the kingdom, not shooing them away. Jesus wants you and I to be his hands and feet to usher people to the Savior so they can get a touch from the Master. That's what he's looking for, and these disciples missed it. So since the disciples have apparently not heard him when he's taught this lesson many, many times over the past three years, Jesus decides to show them. He says, I'm going to demonstrate it once and for all so these disciples cannot miss what significant ministry looks like. Jesus decided to model what important ministry looks like one more time so the disciples are, with, are without excuse. So verse 16 demonstrate, demonstrates three simple practices for significant ministry, for important ministry, modeled for us and the disciples so we can't miss it. So we'll be without excuse. We'll know how to do it and what to do. Simple enough so you and I can do them too. Verse 16. It's our verse for this morning. It's God's word for us. Here it is. And Jesus took the children in his arms. He put his hands on them and blessed them. A rather simple verse, really. But let's, let's parse it phrase by phrase. Jesus took the children in his arms. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus take the children in his arms? Well, some were probably placed in his arms, but probably Jesus wanted to initiate contact. He wanted to make the first contact. He wanted to make the first move to show genuine interest in these kids. See, the truth is, when you love people, when you want to connect with people, you initiate the contact. You don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. That's a good word. That's a good word for you and I. When you love other people, you initiate contact. The contact with them. That's what Jesus is doing. There's a couple of kind of simple, practical, common sense reasons. Jesus is the adult. They're the child. He's big. They're small. So Jesus either had to scoop them up in his arms so he could make eye contact with these little ones. He either had to scoop them in his arms or he had to get down on their level. Because the truth is good ministry is done by meeting the person where he's at by getting on their level, not making them come up to you. The truth is, when you want to connect with someone, when you, when you want to perform ministry, when you want to love on someone, it's your prerogative to remove any barrier that would make you bigger than or better than the person you're trying to connect to and love on. So that's what Jesus did. He either was going to bend down and talk to them eye to eye this way, or he's going to scoop them up. In this case, it says he took them in his arms. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus knows that you demonstrate the love of God by making eye contact, by getting on their level, by showing a genuine interest in people. i got to tell you that simply making eye contact has more ministry value than you know. You realize that just about every person you lock eyes with is saying inwardly, please see me. Please, someone, see me. Someone, anyone, recognize me, validate me. Everybody who walks through those doors, I'm telling you, we've learned not to say it. But the truth is, that's what's going on inside. Because the truth is, their eyes are searching for someone to see them and recognize them and validate them and affirm them. Your look 
it affirms their value and worth. I'll tell you what, this process begins early, like when we're little kids. You walk onto any kid's playground. You walk on any kid's playground and see what happens. It's been a while since my kids were young, but I can tell you what happened every time that we went to the playground with my kids. I'd start pushing one of my little ones on the swing, and before long, while I'm pushing, the kid next to us, you know what he say? He goes, hey, mister, look how high I can swing. And I'm like, oh, it's good. His friend says, hey, mister, watch me go down the slide. Pretty soon, there's a chorus of, look at me, watch this, watch me. Look at me on the monkey bars. Watch me go down the slide. Look at the sandcastle I made. Watch me twirl in my red dress. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's a chorus across the playground. Why? Because little kids recognize that when you see them, when you look at them, it affirms them. It validates them. It validates their value and worth when you see them. You know what I've learned? It's not just kids who need you to look at them, to make eye contact to validate them, to love on them, but with a, with a look. See, the truth is, you and I validate them and love on people by simply making eye contact. You know why? Because most of the time, people feel invisible. Most of the time, people feel insignificant, like they don't matter much. But if you make eye contact, a simple little head nod, your head nod says, I see you, and you matter. You have value and worth. You're not invisible. You are significant. Your look communicates all that. And that person says, feels affirmed and recognizes, you know what? Your look says that I'm welcome, that I'm accepted, that I belong, that I fit. And people are starved to know that they matter. They're starved to know that they matter and that someone sees them and cares. See, Jesus modeled it with these children. He made eye contact with them. He initiated the contact because he loves them. He showed an interest in them. It's the model for you and I. You and I communicate love and acceptance, the love of the Savior, with a simple look. Well, after getting on their level and making eye contact, verse 16 says this, Jesus put his hands on them. If you remember, this is why... People were bringing their children to Jesus in the first place. So he would touch them. The term here speaks of a purposeful, meaningful touch. An appropriate touch. A touch that communicates you matter and I care. See, a touch is a powerful way to communicate partnership, affirmation. It's a physical demonstration of unity and connection. You recognize that teams touch, right? Watch any athletic team and you'll see guys hugging each other and slapping each other and holding hands. It's the unspoken way of teammates saying, we're a team, we're connected, and I have your back. You watch a UConn basketball game. Men or women's doesn't matter. Someone gets fouled and goes to the foul line. You know what happens? The other four players, when the person gets to the foul line, does this. They touch. They make sure that they touch the foul shooter before they shoot to let them know Hey, you got a teammate, you got teammates behind you. They shoot the foul shot, make or miss, doesn't matter. Teammates go up to the foul shooter. What do they do? They make a second touch. We're with you. We're for you. You have a team behind you. You're alone on the foul line, but you are not alone on this court. You have a team who's with you and behind you. Turn on any football game, even a preseason one. Watch when a guy comes out of the game onto the sideline. He is greeted with pats on the helmet 
or on the shoulder pads or maybe a slap on the rear end. It's an appropriate touch on the football field. I do not recommend it on a Sunday morning. Hey, welcome to Black Rock. Now get in there, right? This Not a good idea. But there are powerful ways. There are appropriate ways to touch people around here. Ways that say, I love you, I care, you matter, and God loves you. In fact, I think I'm going to need some help here. So I'm going to need a volunteer. I see my buddy Jeff Keeler right here. Jeff, you're going to help me, all right? Appropriate touch. What does an appropriate touch for a five-year-old look like when you're here in these halls? I did it several times this morning. You know what it is? It's a high five. Maybe a low five if they're real short. It's a five, right? That's an appropriate touch for a five-year-old child. Stay there. How about a 13-year-old or a young person? What is, what's an appropriate touch look like for a young person? They're not into the fives anymore. You know what they do? It's this. A little fist bump. Minimal contact, but maximum connection, right? If I was going to... Here it is right here. That's how you do it. You know what it says? It says, I see you. You matter. We're connected. We're partners. I'm for you. We're friends. It's an appropriate touch. Other end of the spectrum. Let's go to an older person. For an old guy. What's an appropriate touch for an old guy? Not that this is an old guy, but I'm, I'm, I'll be the old guy. I'll be the old guy. You know what it is? It's the traditional handshake, but it's just that. You know what I found? Old guys like to impress me with the strength of their grip, right? See, it's the way an old guy says, I may be old, but I'm not dead, right? It's the appropriate, but that's how, when I greet Jeff or Bill in the morning, it's exactly what we do. We shake hands and give himself a firm handshake. It says, we're brothers, we're connected. How about an older woman? You know what I found? It's a handshake, but it's not much of a shake. It's more of a gentle hand out. You know what happens almost every time I shake the hand of an elderly woman? She does this. She puts her other hand on top of mine. Two hands on one. Why does she do that? Balance. Balance. No. (laughs) You know why she does this? You know why she does this? It's her way of saying... I affirm you. I value this touch. This is important to me. You're important to me. That's what a woman does. It's powerful stuff. And yeah, you've got to be the first one to let go because she's not letting go. Because it's probably been a while since she's been touched. So she's hanging on. How about a, a sick person? You can sit down. Thank you, Jeff. How about a sick person? You know, some people think it's not a good idea to touch a sick person. They think it's not improper. It's not appropriate. I'll tell you, it's just the opposite. You go visit someone in the hospital, and your fear is, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to say. Well, you're in good good company. I don't know what to say either. I do know what to do, though. You go right to that bed, and you touch the person. You put your hand somewhere where they're not hurting, and you touch them. It says that they're touchable, because they're wondering if they're touchable. And your touch will communicate the love and care and concern that you worried that your words wouldn't adequately communicate. Your touch will do the job. So when you visit someone who's sick, you put your hand on them and you pray for them. It'll communicate the love and care and concern that you wanted to communicate. It's how you do it. I'll tell you what, I pray with a bunch of guys every Saturday morning. And we pray for each other. 
for a couple hours, have a great time. But when a guy has an overwhelming burden or concern, we do something different. We put our hands on him. We either bring him to the middle or we walk over him and we just put our hands on his shoulder. We're all touching him. We pray the same exact prayer, but there's something about the touch, the connection that says we're with you, we're for you, we've got your back, we're your brothers, you're not alone. It's powerful. See, the truth is you, you communicate the love of God with a simple look by eye contact and with a touch. It's powerful. I got to get back up here. Let's see. All right. Woo. <laughs> I practiced that all week, you know. Woo. The good news is we can do this, right? It's like, my gosh, make eye contact, initiate the contact, show genuine concern, look at people and affirm their value and worth, touch them when appropriate. We can do this. It's how the gospel gets communicated. It's how we love on people. It's what Jesus modeled for us. We can do it. But we're not done. Verse 16 continues. Verse 16 says that Jesus took the children in his arms. He put his hands on them and blessed them. The term here means he spoke words of blessing over these children. Do you remember how powerful words of encouragement and affirmation were to you when you were a kid? You and I can probably remember those words from childhood or maybe more recently that breathed life into you. That gave you value and worth. Spoken by a parent or a coach or a teacher or a friend. Words that you've clung to and built upon more than they would ever know. Words that said to you, said to you that you were loved. That they believed in you. That they were proud of you. That you could do it. You remember those powerful words? Well, not much has changed. We've gotten a little older, but those same words breathe life into people. A well-timed word can inspire hope in someone who feels like giving up. A word of blessing can heal up someone who's all broken inside. A simple word can help connect a person who's isolated and alone. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in your tongue. You speak life into people when you encourage them. So encourage them. Affirm them. Validate them. Catch them doing something right. You demonstrate and communicate the love of Jesus with a word. It's simple. You can do this. See, words spoken with the love of Christ literally breathe hope and a future into people. Do you realize you communicate the gospel through simple methods, through a look, through a touch, through a word. When you look at someone, you say, hey, the God of the universe loves you. He created you. He made you with value and worth. I see that. And he has sacrificed everything, including his own son, so he can spend eternity with you. Do you realize that? He thinks you're worth it. He values you that much. He thinks you're that important, that significant. Those are words of life. Those, those words lift somebody up. They breathe life into someone. That's the gospel. And you and I do it with a, with a word and a touch and a look. Simple things, really but powerful. We demonstrate the love of Christ with a look, with a touch, with a word. And it goes without saying that these words of affirmation and encouragement breathe life into people, but maybe, maybe some of the most powerful words you can speak over someone aren't even directly directed at them. They were directed to the Heavenly Father on their behalf. You can pray for people. 
You can pray. It might be the most loving thing you could do for someone is to pray for them. Pray God's blessing on their life. Words spoken to the Father are powerful. I'll remind you that the Heavenly Father does not miss a single whispered prayer. It's the way you can love on someone. It's the way you can communicate the love and affirmation of Jesus himself. This is simple stuff, really. Jesus modeled for his disciples and you and I simple practices that we can do. He's left the kingdom in our hands. And the truth is the kingdom is built through a look, through a touch, through a word. And you and I can do it. He's looking for us to follow his example. What do you say? I'm going to ask you to stand for a closing prayer. And we're going to do it a little bit differently today. Because normally I would pronounce a prayer of blessing over you and send you out. That's good. But today you're going to, you're going to be the one pronouncing the closing prayer. Because what we're going to do is we're just going to put into practice real quick what we just learned in a simple, short way. So here's what I'm asking you to do. See the person standing next to you? Look at them. Look right at them. I want you to, I want you to touch them. I want you to put your hand on them. Put on their hand, on their arm, on their shoulder. Be touching someone. And keep it there. You have my permission. This is appropriate. <laughs> and here's what you're going to do. With your hand on them, you are going to pronounce a blessing over them. I'll, I'll give it to you, but you do it. No one's going to leave here unblessed. No one will escape without being touched by the love of the Savior. It's going to be your words, but it's really Jesus using your touch, your look, your words. So you can pray this over the person next to you. Say, Jesus, I affirm this person's value and worth. I pray blessing on them now. I pray, God, that they would know the love of the Savior, that my look, that my touch, my words would just represent the love that the Savior has for my friend here. And I pray blessing on them now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.